welcome again to Grace. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and as we return to the Gospel of John, we have been uh, looking at a conversation between Jesus and His disciples. And it's a longer conversation, obviously. This is our fifth week now looking at it. Um, but this is one of the last conversations that he'll have. And he is on his way uh, to be arrested and crucified. And uh, these are some of the last and most important things that Jesus says to them. And in fact, this might be one of the sections of this conversation, if not all of Jesus' teachings, that should bring them and us some of the most comfort. Let's listen as I read for us from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it take, does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us this morning. God, oftentimes when we come to your word, the things that Jesus says is confusing, and we have a passage like that for us this morning. It seems easy for us in a world full of distractions to hear that confusion and to disconnect, disengage, let our minds wander to other things, but I pray that you would send your spirit to us this morning. Help us to hear the truth of your love for us, the truth of your sacrifice for us the truth of your commitment to us, and help those words change us. I pray that my words fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, this is a conversation, and in it, Jesus is preparing His disciples for this massive relational shift that is about to take place for them. 
They've spent the last three years, almost every moment of every day with Jesus, and within the next 24 hours, He is going to die and leave them alone. He knows that they are going to be entering life as you and I experience it every day, physically separated from Jesus. And so what Jesus says here to comfort the disciples is perhaps the most direct communication to people in our circumstances, which means these words to the disciples can speak directly to us. To help calm the shock that they are going to be going through as Jesus dies on the cross, he predicts two different events that are going to take place. The first is his resurrection. Verse 28, he says, I'm going away and I'll come to you. Why? Verse 31, because I must do as my Father commanded me. Jesus is saying here, it is the Father's will for me to die, but that won't be the end of things. I will come back. Now, not to give away the rest of the gospel account, but that's where we're heading. We're going to be talking about Jesus' death and resurrection a lot in the next couple of weeks. And so this morning, instead of talking about that part of this section, I want to talk about the second thing that Jesus promises, the Holy Spirit. After Jesus rises from the dead, He prophesies here that He will ascend and go away, but it's okay because He's going to be sending someone else. In this passage, He calls Him the Helper. The Greek term is paraclete, which could also be translated as advocate, counselor, confidant, right? The connotation being someone that you trust to fight for you, someone you trust to fight alongside you to help build you up when life is hard, all within the context of a deep relationship, not a hired hand like a lawyer, but a friend, perhaps the best friend. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think that many of us have had our impressions about Him shaped by the modern concept of the conscience, right? It's like the Holy Spirit for us sometimes is just a better, more Christian conscience. It's the same thing, but with Jesus sprinkled on top. This past week, my family and I watched the new version, live-action version of Pinocchio, with Tom Hanks. Now, that might narrow down the move, not narrow down the movie because Tom Hanks is in everything these days, but just to remind you of the storyline, a wooden puppet wishes to become a real boy, and he has to learn right from wrong in order to do so. The blue fairy that shows up telling him this deputizes Jiminy Cricket to be his hop-along traveling conscience. Let your conscience be your guide. And I think it's not too strange to say we often think the Holy Spirit is a lot like that. Come on, Stephen, obey my commands. Read your Bible. Go to church. Don't say those words, right? And if that's how we think the Holy Spirit works, just like Pinocchio does with Jiminy Cricket, you have to do the right things to be in His presence. You have to hope that you can actually hear His voice in times of need. And just like the interchange between Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket, you can choose to listen or you can choose to ignore. And the reality is that's not not very comforting. If Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, but it's okay because I'm going to send you this little thing that's going to help you when times are tough, but you got to make sure you do some more stuff to get around Him, right? That's not comforting. That's just more work. 
It's more responsibility. It's not comforting particularly to the disciples who are going to be experiencing the tragedy of Jesus' death. When we reduce the Holy Spirit to nothing more than a dressed-up version of our conscience, or even worse, we forget about the Holy Spirit and choose to ignore Him altogether, we begin to act as if we're on our own. We act out of fear, out of concern, out of selfish ambition. We turn away from God to protect ourselves. The Holy Spirit that Jesus promises here is so much more than a measly cricket. The Holy Spirit is active. Jesus says, engaged in every aspect of your life. This Holy Spirit that Jesus promises is internal. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work, working inside out, turning you outward, having you face the rest of the world, and changing you in the process. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit works to connect you to me, to conform you to me, and comfort you in me. Jesus' words to the disciples are the same words to us, starting with the fact that the Holy Spirit connects us to Jesus. This is one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in the work of the believer. Jesus tells His disciples that He will be connected to them even after He's gone through the Holy Spirit in their lives. And this is incredibly important, especially, especially when you consider how dependent they have been on Him and how much they love Him. He's saying, I'm going to be gone. You won't see me, but you will experience me. You will be connected to me. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will, verse 17, dwell with them and live in them. And then this, verse 20, in that day when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Did you get that? That's pretty clear. Everybody understands what that means. Quick summary, through the Spirit, we are connected to Jesus, who is connected to the Father. That's amazing. What Jesus says here is amazing. First of all, we see clearly here that Jesus is saying, if you are in me and the Holy Spirit is in you, you are connected to the Trinity, period. You are connected to the Trinity. Almighty God, three persons in one, you are connected to that power, that majesty, that glory, that community. Second of all, it means that even though God feels distant, He never is. God is never distant. You are always going to be connected. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, your connection to God cannot be interrupted. There's nothing that you do and nothing that the world throws out at you that can disconnect you from the Trinity. I hope that that is a great encouragement to you. If you are in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in within you and always connects you to God. But it's when we forget that. We begin to live in a way that Jesus is warning the disciples about. He says, verse 18, I am not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. That's how we live when we forget that we're connected to God. 
we begin to live as orphans. Now, in our fall men's study, we're talking about this concept a lot, about what it means for us to switch our mindset from living as orphans to living as sons of God, being connected in a way that cannot be broken. And this past week, the the study had us uh, perform an assignment. For the whole week, it said, do not use your tongue to gossip, to complain, to criticize, blame shift, or make excuses, defend yourself, boast, or deceive others. And thankfully, the next question was, talk about one of the times you failed, not if you failed. Gave us some leeway to realize that we all were going to fail at this task. Now, it asked, when you think about one of the times you failed, what was it that your heart was seeking when you misused your tongue? And I gave this example. At one point in the last week, one of my daughters slammed a door and made me angry. And so I burst into that room and very angrily and loudly declared, you have a cleaning chore now. The goal was, yes, to discipline my daughter, but more so in my heart, it was to scare her. And so later I felt bad and I went to her to apologize. And no sooner had the apology for my behavior come out, came out of my mouth than so did, but I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't disobeyed. Now, Let's ignore the fact that I was correct in saying that. Let's ignore the fact that logically it makes sense that if the door was never slammed, I never would have yelled. The point that I realized in doing this exercise was that the reason I had to point out her failure in addition to apologizing for my own was that I felt like God's forgiveness was far away, that I had to make up some reasoning to not feel so bad. Instead of believing that the forgiveness of God was right in front of me, around me, within me at all times, I had lost the reality of my connection to God. Jesus says the Holy Spirit lives in in you, always with you, connecting you to God. And it's not just like, hey, here's a red phone that sits on your desk, and if things go wrong, you know you can always reach us, just pick it up. Verse 23, Jesus says, God the Father and God the Son, through God the Spirit, will come and we will make our home with you. Our dwelling is that word, our residence. It's intimate. It's a personal connection, one-on-one, or rather one-on-three-in-one, connected forever. And my immediate thought is, It's hard enough for my own wife and daughters to live with my messy sinfulness. How in the world can a perfectly holy God commit to living with me? And that brings us to the second action of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about, connecting us to Jesus and now conforming us to Jesus. Jesus says this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Verse 26, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is an agent of change. This connection that He makes between us and God, it has a goal. 
It has a purpose that it is always chased, He is always chasing down, teaching us all things, bringing us to remember all the things that Jesus has said. Using language like that communicates this isn't like a once-for-all change, right? It's not like all of a sudden you're completely different. This is a process. The Holy Spirit is working on you throughout the course of your life, and not just here and there, but always at work. Or a better way to say it is the Holy Spirit is working in all things. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 8 when he says, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. All things. That means that no event, no situation, no issue, no failure, no success is off limits from the Holy Spirit using it. Times might be tough. You might feel like a failure, or you might feel proud because everything is going well based on your efforts. But Jesus says here, through the Holy Spirit, deeply rooted in your soul, God is never not at work. Nothing in your life is just a thing. God uses it all. That leisurely Saturday morning that you enjoyed, the stressful Monday morning drive to work, that group project that you failed to keep your portion of, the successful hire that you recommended to your boss, the grocery store meltdown of your toddler, or the sweet anniversary dinner that you had. The Spirit is at work in all of those things, teaching you all things, reminding you of the words of Jesus. But to what end? Verse 19, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The Spirit is changing us into the life of Jesus, better, the likeness of Jesus. And that process, that change into something else is conforming. We begin to be shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus. Our attitudes, our thoughts, our reactions conformed to the likeness of Jesus. There's a common quote that's attributed to the Renaissance artist Michelangelo in which he talks about crafting the beautiful marble statue of David by saying he simply chipped away at all the marble that didn't look like David. Well, that's cute until you try to do something similar. There are some rose bushes along the side of our house, up in the front yard, and there's four of them that are spaced a little further apart, but we've always wanted them to be like a hedge. So it's a beautiful hedge of bright pink roses, and I've been working for several months to try and get them there. I was out with my electric hedge trimmer the other day, and I was trying to make them nice and even across the top. I had this image in my head of what I wanted, so I started at one end, and And I turned and looked to see my work, nice upward angle. Not a problem because I still have the hedge trimmer, so I just went back down the other way and looked down. You know how this story goes. It's up at the other, back and forth. I tried to trim it until finally I just decided, it is what it is, it'll grow back, right? So, in a similar way, the Spirit of God spends the entirety of our life And every moment of our life, shaping, crafting, pruning, 
away the parts of us that are not Christ-like, shaping us into the image and likeness of Jesus, bringing the image of God in us out into the light. But if you're like me, there can be such discouragement in the reality that it doesn't seem like there's any change in us. It doesn't seem like I'm becoming more Jesus-like. In fact, even reading this first verse, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, can be quite discouraging because I see more and more the ways I don't keep Jesus' commands. And if that's you, if your heart is condemning you for not doing enough, not changing enough, not loving Jesus enough, we have to keep in mind that this conversation started with Jesus giving two specific commands. And the first one was for the disciples to let Jesus wash them. One of the commands that Jesus is speaking about here, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The first one is to receive Jesus' washing. Not do enough work, not obey enough, and the Holy Spirit will come to you, but to receive the work of God in your life. If you recognize in your heart that you want to love Jesus, or maybe you want to love Him more, if you see areas of failure in your life and you want to obey Jesus, or maybe you want to obey Him more, that may seem like it is not enough. But the Bible is very clear in telling us that the want to love Jesus, the want to obey Jesus, are the tiniest footholds upon which the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. Wanting to love Jesus, wanting to obey Jesus are the baby steps of faith that the Holy Spirit uses to change you. Verse 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That change of the Holy Spirit is from a life of sin and death into a life of perfect obedience and love of the Father, not ours but Jesus is. This is the great exchange of the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross and died, those who have faith in Him receive His perfect record of obedience and His perfect love to the Father, and He receives our record of failure and our disobedience and turning away from the Father. And it is through the Holy Spirit at work within us that we, that life of Jesus is grown from those seeds of faith into a full fruit-bearing plant. But what is the fruit? What is coming out of us as the Holy Spirit works in us? Well, it's the third thing that Jesus says is going to happen. The Holy Spirit connects us to Jesus, conforms us to Jesus, and finally comforts us in Jesus. Verse 27 is the why verse for Jesus. Why is He telling them this? What is his hope for outcome? Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit an everlasting connection to God because living as an orphan, living like you think you're on your own, is a life of constant fear 
constant worry, constantly leveraging resources and relationships, which leads to anxiety and chaos. And Jesus says here, the spirit that connects you to me and conforms you to me grows comfort in you and peace in you. It chases away fear and worry and establishes deep, deep peace. Not just any kind of peace, but a deep, long-lasting peace that is based on the reconnection of your relationship to God. There is absolutely nothing more fundamental to your soul than a relationship with God. And Jesus says here, the Spirit grows peace in you by showing you that reconnection. That's why often the Holy Spirit is referred to as comforter. We've already sung about Him that way this morning. Think about this. When something is going well in your life, you have something to celebrate, or maybe things are out of control, you usually text or call one person, right? There's someone that you think about texting first, someone that you know is going to celebrate with you, someone that you know is going to comfort you if things are going poorly, someone who's also going to be able to point out how you have contributed to that failure or that hardship, a friend, Maybe it is someone in your family. Maybe it's just an acquaintance who is a very close friend. That is the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, someone who is there with us all the time, celebrating us, comforting us when things are are going wrong, telling us where we have been hard-headed and hard-hearted. It grows comfort to know someone is with you in all of those situations. How do we see that worked out most clearly? Well, in verse 23, where Jesus says, the Father and the Son will come and make their dwelling with you, that you is actually plural. In fact, many of the yous in this passage are plural. The Holy Spirit dwells with you. I will make myself apparent to you. I will reveal myself among you. These things happen in the context of the family of Jesus. Jesus comes and makes Himself dwell in the midst of His people, the church. It is in community that we find the deepest expression of connection to Jesus. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit working in you is working in a different way than the Holy Spirit is working in me. And the Holy Spirit connecting you to Jesus is connecting me to Jesus in a different way, which means just like looking at a diamond, depending on how you look at it, the facets on your side reveal a different sparkle than they reveal on my side. Same diamond, different sparkle. Same Jesus, different angle. And so when we gather together, the Holy Spirit working in each of us reveals to us a more beautifully pictured Jesus, the real Jesus. It is also in community that we experience the deepest form of being conformed to Jesus because we are able to see sin in each other and encourage each other to repent and receive the gospel in a way that I can't do on my own. It is in the community of believers that we experience comfort, and we experience comfort by being called into community, which is why Jesus answers Judas's question this way. It might be easy to read uh, Judas's question and think uh, he's wondering about appearances. How, Jesus, will you appear to us, but everyone else isn't going to see you? But that's not the connotation. Judas is asking, how is it that we get to see you in this way? 
and you're not going to show yourself to other people. How is that going to happen? And Jesus' response is, it's in, it's in community. When you have my commands and you love me and you do them, it creates a community that is so apparent, so different, so comforting, so conforming, so connecting, that the people out in the world are going to go, what is going on there? And they are going to come and hear and see and know about me. Nicholas Herman was born to peasant parents in Lorraine, France in the first half of the 1600s. He was so poor that he had to join the military in order to secure food for himself and to find a little bit of money, basically out of necessity. At some point, he was injured in the military, had to retire, and because of his injuries, he sought care and uh, the rest of his life to be cared for in a monastery. And the reason he turned to the monastery is because of an experience he had while working with the military. It wasn't some grand experience. It wasn't something amazing, no lightning strike, nothing like that. In fact, it was very, very unassuming, very simple. At one point in the deep of winter, Herman looked at a barren tree, stripped of leaves and fruit, just waiting silently and patiently for the hope of spring. That's what he wrote. And gazing at the tree, he realized that just like that tree, inside was life. For him, it showed the extravagance of God's grace and his faithfulness to care for those of his people. Like the tree, he himself was seemingly dead, but God had life waiting for him and just took the turn of a season. And so uh, Nicholas Herman goes to this monastery, and because of his injuries and his prevailing sickness, he isn't able to do lots of work. He has to work in the kitchen. And it is there that he wrote many of the things that we have collected for us. Nicholas Herman joined the monastery and was given the name Brother Lawrence, and his writings were collected in a work called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in it, he writes this, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of God? We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is in the frying pan for the love of Him. And as much as it might seem like he is talking about obedience and he's talking about doing the things to earn some kind of commitment from God, as we read through his works, what we see is that he actually began to experience life in his own words as if there was no one else save God and me in the world. Together, God and Brother Lawrence cook meals. They run errands, they scrub pots, and they endured his suffering from his injuries. One person who summarized his work ended it by saying, this is exactly how Brother Lawrence spent the rest of his 80 years, dying in relative obscurity and pain with perfect joy. The promised Holy Spirit from Jesus tells us no matter what your life is like, no matter how the rest of your years go, you are connected to God. 
you are conformed to Jesus and you are comforted in Jesus. And that brings joy, unlike anything in this world. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your son, for his death and resurrection on the cross, for his faithfulness to take on our sin and give to us his perfect righteousness and his promise of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises. So we know that what Jesus says here has come true. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we know for sure that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, conforming us to Christ, connecting us to Christ, and comforting us in Him as well. We pray all of this in His mighty name. Amen.